The following episode covers sensitive topics such as child abuse and hate crimes. Viewer discretion is advised. Sophia Juarez was a wildly imaginative and curious little girl from the Tri-Cities area in Washington State. Her brilliant smile and affinity for animated television were cut short by an unsolved disappearance in the winter of 2003, leaving all who knew her in her packed family home and the entirety of East Kennewick, Washington at large, grasping for answers in a sea of mysteries that drowned us all in doubt. As a hope to provide more substantial reasoning built upon observable evidence and situational analysis, this is an examination of the Sophia Juarez vanishing in southern Washington state and the decades-long search to find the little girl that has traversed the entire North American continent and captured the minds of many across social media as of the present day. This is Cold Case Detective. Sophia Juarez was born on February 4, 2003, to parents Maria Juarez and Andre Abraham in Kennewick, Washington. Sophia's birth father, Andre, was not present at the time of her birth and reportedly objected to being her father in the first place, at least throughout the first few years of her life, while he retained residency in Mexico. Maria Juarez, being a 15-year-old new teenage mother herself, did not flinch at her former partner's unfortunate claims and brought Sophia to live with her at her childhood home. From the onset, Sophia was introduced to a massive family all living under one roof, on the 100 block of East 15th Avenue in the eastern suburbs of Kennewick. In the same residence lived Sophia's grandmother, Ignacia Juarez, and the grandmother's boyfriend, Jose Torres, and six of Sophia's aunts and uncles. The aunts and uncles were all biological siblings of Sophia's mother, Maria. Because Maria was still quite young, her siblings' ages also ranged from those of children to teenagers. Sophia may have been the youngest, but she wasn't the only innocent soul running around the home. Originating from Mexico, Maria and the Juarez family moved to the United States in the latter half of the 20th century, settling in Kennewick, Washington, to start a life with dreams of flourishing and finding a career in America. Kennewick was a promising location for a motivated family to plant their roots. It has seen steady growth in population since the 1930s, with its biggest bump in demographics seen in the late 40s, with the affluence of the local nuclear plants called the Hanford Site. The Hanford Site was where nuclear weapons were designed and developed during World War II, and was the plant that refined the plutonium that would later be used in the atomic bomb called Fat Man, eventually deployed in Nagasaki, Japan, in 1945. The Hanford site led to a steady increase in blue-collar jobs, and folks flooded in from around the country for a quieter, American dream-styled living. The southeastern Washington town also features a moderate climate due to its low elevation, and suits those whose preference is of warmer winters and low humidity. It's found on the southern bank of the Columbia River. In the eyes of the Juarez family, this was a perfect opportunity as they transitioned from what they knew in Mexico to the mostly unfamiliar territory of America. Sophia only added to the optimism and hope fueling the Juarez family forward. 
She quickly became a loving child who embraced every member of her family, even if she was a bit shy in the outside world. She was described as a lively and animated young girl, never failing to make her mother or aunts and uncles laugh until their faces hurt. When she wasn't the center of attention, Sophia loved her Barbie dolls and enjoyed playing make-believe with her younger relatives, wearing makeup and homemade costumes to pass the time. Sophia also loved to watch cartoons, and many believe it was this fascination with animated television that led to her boundless creativity and vivacious energy. Sophia was also known for her affinity for hamburgers and the Burger King fast food chain of restaurants, telling everyone she knew it was her favorite meal. These are the spare facts we know about the little girl, because the day before she turned five, her joyful and enthusiastic voice went silent in that packed family home on the 100 block of East 15th Avenue. Let us now turn to the timeline of events leading to Sophia's disappearance. At around 8 p.m. on Tuesday, February 4th, 2003, Sophia Waros plays with her younger uncles in one of the bedrooms in their East Kennewick home. Simultaneously, Sophia's grandmother's boyfriend, named Jose, prepares to embark on an errand to the local convenience store, only a few blocks from the Juarez household. Jose does not live at the home on 15th Avenue, but maintains a friendly relationship with everyone who does, including Sophia and the other children. A few minutes after 8pm, Jose asks the kids if any of them want to join him on his quick trip to the store. All of the kids decline the offer. That is, except for Sophia. After first denying her desire to go, she decides at the last minute she'd like to tag along, somewhere between 8 and 8.15 p.m. However, within that same time frame, Sophia fails to inform Jose of the newfound decision, and he leaves the house by himself, with Sophia staying behind. Between the times of 8.15 and 9.15 p.m., Sophia runs through the house to find her mother, Maria. After locating her, Sophia asks for $1 to take to the store with her and Jose. Maria initially hesitates, but ultimately agrees and gives Sophia the money. Seconds later, Sophia thanks her mother and runs out of the room. Maria watches her leave and then hears the front door open and close, supposedly Sophia's departure. Maria then assumes Jose must be with her as originally planned and goes back to her evening activities. This would be the last confirmed sighting of Sophia Juarez. It wouldn't be released to the public until June of 2021, but between that same time frame of 8.15 and 9.15 p.m., a very credible witness sees a small girl matching the description of Sophia walking along the sidewalk on South Washington Street, the street adjacent to 15th Avenue and the Juarez family home. During this eyewitness account, the subject also sees the girl being approached by a second child, this time a young Hispanic boy anywhere from 11 to 14 years old, standing about 5 feet tall. The witness also describes the boy as having dark and wavy hair, a baby face that made him look younger than normal, and abnormally large hands. The witness sees this suspect then take the girl's hand as he laughs and she cries, guiding her towards a parked van on a side street nearby. The van is described by the witness as the type of van you'd see used by workers, like painters or other contractors. The color is either a light blue, silver, or gray hue modeled like a 1970s or 80s full-sized panel van with no windows on the side. It is unconfirmed if this sighting is that of Sofia Juarez. However, when the police show the witness photos of a youthful Sofia, the witness says she is the girl who was spotted with the suspect and van. Meanwhile, at the market, 
the boyfriend of Sofia's grandmother, Jose, purchases a gallon of milk and makes a quick phone call to Mexico at one of the store's payphones. About 30 minutes later, around 9.45 p.m., Jose returns from the store by himself. When Maria questions him regarding Sofia, he informs her Sofia never clarified her intent to go with him and that he didn't see Sofia at any point during his errand. Wasting no time, Maria Juarez calls the police to report her daughter missing at 9.53 p.m. Law enforcement arrives just three minutes later and immediately inquires about the circumstances of the last two hours. Maria informs them of Sophia's activity before she went missing. Combining this information with the cold temperatures outside, Sophia's age, and the fact she wasn't wearing a coat, it is obvious to authorities that Sophia hasn't simply wandered off or is playing hide-and-seek. Rather, she is most likely the victim of an abduction. After a few minutes of interviews, police dispatch fellow officers to search the Juarez family home, the surrounding yard, the vehicles in the front, and the neighborhood at large. At least seven patrolmen were sent to nearby playgrounds, public parks, the local school districts, and open fields or parking lots. Within an hour of being reported missing, the Kennewick Police Department, also referred to as the KPD, gets in touch with both the local media and the Federal Bureau of Investigations. At the same time, an Amber Alert is issued in the state of Washington for the first time, alerting the public to keep a dutiful eye out for a girl matching Sophia's description. As the crescent moon reaches its peak in the night sky, nearly all of Kennewick know about Sophia Juarez, as do both local and federal government agencies, stretching all the way to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police across country borders. Private citizens especially are eager to join in the search, and many leave their homes in the thick of night to canvas the surrounding areas for any sign of Sophia. These search parties are led by the KPD, who set up quadrant searches and navigate the dark terrain with thermal imaging and night vision equipment. Even the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children is alerted within a few hours, and a case manager is assigned to track updates and aid in the search. Similar notices are sent to surrounding states like Oregon, Idaho, California, and Nevada. While nothing is found overnight, the following morning on Wednesday, February 5th, an incident management team is set up to continue the process of search operations. Over the next three days, over 500 civilian volunteers, police officers, FBI agents, IMT personnel, and dive and rescue squad members are deployed in the search, utilizing aircraft, helicopters, and cadaver dogs, as well as combing through street sewers and waterways. On Saturday, February 8th, police conduct home searches for two parties in Kennewick and one in the neighboring town of Burbank, Washington. Nothing is discovered, and the mother of the boys searched and questioned in Burbank claims the police were attempting to force a false confession from her sons. Three days later, on Tuesday, February 11th, the KPD received a tip regarding a sexually explicit phone call between a Kennewick man and a stranger. The Kennewick man reportedly made a suspicious comment about Sophia's disappearance during the disturbing phone call and became a person of interest. After a thorough interrogation, the man is cleared of any involvement and instead is charged with telephone harassment. Later that night, a public candlelight vigil is held at the Juarez family home. 300 citizens participate. A few weeks later, on Saturday, March 1st, a NASCAR driver by the name of Damon Lusk forgoes sponsorship opportunities on his race car and places a photo of Sophia on the trunk's exterior, hoping to raise further awareness across the United States. Around the same time, 
Sophia's case is featured on the program America's Most Wanted. While the coverage brings in 13 legitimate phone line tips, none of them lead to anything of significance. A couple of months later, in May of 2003, police release a bolo report for a mid-1990s full-size van of a faded orange color featuring a license plate with a double J in the typeface. Along with the vehicle, police include a profile for a person of interest who drove the van, listed as a 35 to 40-year-old Caucasian male with a thick blonde beard. These reports come from a witness who claims to have seen the van and the suspicious driver around the same time and place of Sophia's disappearance. It is unknown if the man or his van were ever found. As the months turn to years, little is discovered in the case of Sophia Juarez. In late 2007 to early 2008, Sophia's mother Maria Juarez moves to California. By mid-2008, she gives birth to a second child. Yet, in a tragic series of events, on Saturday, January 10th, 2009, Maria passes away due to medical complications. Her ashes are carried through the suburbs of Kennewick, Washington, six days later, on Friday, January 16th, along the same exact route the residents held the candlelight vigil procession for Sophia nearly six years earlier. A touching tribute for the young woman who had never given up hope that her first daughter would be found. In 2015, the Kennewick Police Department reassigned the case to a retired police captain from Richland, Washington, named Al Wayner. Wayner is the lead investigator as of February 2021. In March of 2021, the Juarez family publish a website dedicated to finding Sophia Juarez, with accounts by the investigative teams aiding in the case since 2003 available for public access, including statements aimed at the people involved, pleading for them to come forward as they will not be able to escape detection forever. The biggest update in Sophia's case comes in April of 2021, when a TikTok video goes viral, depicting a 22-year-old woman from Culiacan, Mexico, who looks very similar to the age-progressed photos of Sophia released not long before. In the video, the woman claims she doesn't like birthdays, and she doesn't know her own story. The woman continues, saying she'd like to speak to her real family because she heard rumors that she was kidnapped as a child, and has no knowledge of where she came from. TikTok users and viewers alike flood the video across various social media apps, and it receives over 5 million original views. Investigators on Sophia's case are made aware and connect with the interviewer in the video, called Osbala, to help them find the young woman. Unfortunately, those same investigators release a statement in March of 2022, indicating they had tested the 22-year-old woman's DNA against preserved DNA from Sophia Juarez, and found they did not match. While Sophia's story had reached a much wider base in the months since spring of 2021, it remains a very cold case to this day, and police are still asking for any and all information relevant to the investigation as of spring 2022. In the first 18 years or so of the investigative efforts into finding Sophia Juarez, very little was discovered in terms of physical evidence. After the first few months of detailed searches around Kennewick went by without much of a trace, volunteers did find a pair of children's overalls and stray shoes that appeared to belong to a little girl. Both items of clothing were presented to Maria Juarez, but were not identified as belonging to Sophia at any point in her life. In August of 2006, fragments of a human skull were found by a farmer near Ritzville, Washington, and were tested via radiocarbon dating in 2007. 
The skull was found to be nearly 600 years old and an impossible match for Sophia Juarez. These red herrings only led the case closer to nowhere, with leads fizzling out as the years went on. That is until April of 2021, when the random interview on the social media app known as TikTok nearly flipped the entire investigation on its head. The TikTok personality called Osbala, known for interviewing people across parts of both Mexico and the United States, released a video in which the personality can be seen interviewing a young woman in Mexico. The woman is thought to be about 22 years old, making her the same age as Sofia Juarez if she is still alive as of the present day. She is interviewed at a rehabilitation center and currently undergoing recovery from either addiction or another illness. While we do not have a word-by-word -word translation, the interviewer brings up the topic of birthdays in the video, to which the woman responds with her disliking of birthdays due to a traumatic event that happened to her as a young girl. When the interviewer asks why, the woman explains that she doesn't know where she came from and could have been abducted or kidnapped when she was young, either in Mexico or even the United States. The woman ends by saying she'd like to speak to whoever her family is and get a clear understanding of where she came from and what exactly happened as a child. After the video was posted, a few TikTok users responded to the post with comments regarding Sofia Juarez, stating the woman in the TikTok video bore a startling resemblance to the age-progressed posters made for Sofia. Going against the normal content of that TikTok account, the interviewer posted a few more follow-up videos after seeing the chatter about Sofia Juarez in the comments. He asked for more information from the general public, and said he has relayed everything he knows to the appropriate investigators. In April, the investigators at the Kennewick Police Department made a public statement claiming they are aware of the video and are working with the content creators behind the account to locate the woman in the video and make contact with her. In June of 2021, the KPD issued a new statement saying they had found the woman in question, but that she was still under care at a rehab center and they would release any new information when they had it. The woman allegedly remained in rehabilitation throughout that summer and into the following year, until March 2022, when the KPD released the newest update in Sophia's case, explaining that the woman was identified as someone other than Sophia, using interviews and DNA testing to clear her from the investigation. While in the end the TikTok situation led to a dead end, it is symbolic of the power of awareness and discussion of cold cases, no matter how old they are or the improbability of solving them. It may also have led to the single biggest eyewitness testimony shared to KPD in May of 2021 of the young Hispanic boy who was seen leading a girl who matched Sophia's description to a panel van in the area Sophia would have been around 8.30 p.m. on February 4th, 2003. While police haven't explicitly said the increase in awareness due to the TikTok video connected this witness to the investigation, it certainly is a possibility. No matter how improbable it seems, anyone in any part of the world could have that missing clue necessary to bring someone home to their family, or at least propel a search to the next appropriate step. It is why we believe that even though Sophia wasn't found directly from this interview, it will someday be looked at as the spark. It will someday be looked at as the spark that led to the ultimate solution in the case. Let us now turn to the most prominent theories surrounding the disappearance of Sofia Juarez. When it comes to theories of child abduction, especially those with large families involved, the early speculation often centers on the relatives last seen with the victim. In the case of Sofia Juarez, 
Both Jose and Maria were considered first and foremost by investigators, as they were the last two adults confirmed to have seen Sophia alive. Luckily, police were able to establish rock-solid alibis for both the grandmother's boyfriend and Sophia's mother. Jose had been tracked at the grocery store through eyewitness testimony, and Sophia was never in his presence. Some had initially asked if his phone call at the grocery store's payphone may have been related to a possible contracted abduction, but the person on the other line was identified and had zero involvement with the situation at hand. Maria's testimony was confirmed by other members in the Juarez household, and she was also quickly ruled out as a person of interest. The one family member who wasn't cleared quite as quickly was Sofia's biological father, Andre, who was still thought to live in Mexico at the time Sofia walked out of the 15th East Avenue home. The Kennewick Police Department was able to work with FBI operatives and special agents in Mexico to track down and interview Andre. Andre was shocked to hear about his daughter's disappearance, but stated he had no involvement. The FBI followed the leads he provided regarding an alibi, and it didn't take long for them to confirm Andre's innocence. Once all the rumors regarding family members were completely squashed, the eyes of law enforcement turned towards the rest of Kennewick, Washington, and the Tri-Cities area at large. At first, Kennewick appears to be a quiet and quintessential town that represents everything America claims to be. Blue-collar, hard-working, and where anyone and everyone can come together to chase a dream and make a better life for themselves. Unfortunately, the sentiments of Kennewick, Washington are not all sunshine and rainbows. Rather, beneath the benevolency in the southeastern Washington suburbs lies a history saturated in darkness and danger. The region now occupied by Kennewick was once a lush and lively piece of serene land lived on by a few tribes of Native Americans, such as the Wanapum and Yakama peoples. Of course, like every indigenous settlement across North America, this peaceful demographic of natives was swept out of town by settlers in the 18th century, and by the time Lewis and Clark's expedition took them through Kennewick in 1806, two large camps of colonizers had already claimed the land as their own. In 1855, the region was officially ceded to the United States via the Walla Walla Council, and more settlements sprouted around modern-day Kennewick. After this point, the numbers of settlers who traversed the trails into the Pacific Northwest grew exponentially, and with the Industrial Revolution came a huge bump in population, both in Kennewick and the surrounding cities across Oregon and Washington State. Fast forward to the 1940s, and Kennewick was a blossoming locale chosen for the promising Hanford nuclear site, as previously documented. It was the home for the plutonium refined for one of the major atomic bombs dropped on Japan during World War II. And, with the new infrastructure, came an outpouring of employment opportunities. Folks from all over America quickly saddled up and moved to Kennewick to take advantage of its surplus in work and suburban attractiveness. It appeared to be the perfect haven for families and bachelors alike. That is, for families and folks who had white skin. Under the mirage of perfection, Kennewick wielded disturbing patterns of racial discrimination following people belonging to any minority and more specifically, African-Americans. Kennewick was actually known as a sundown town, both before, during, and right after the US civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s. Sundown towns, also known as gray towns or sunset towns, are mostly all-white cities and communities across the United States known to practice and uphold racial segregation, 
excluding non-whites from local privileges, using both intimidation and violent tactics to enforce these racist acts. Kennewick was one such sundown town, known for its requirement that African Americans be out of the city limits by twilight's end. Even during the day, black folks who walked the town's streets were welcomed with harassment by both the police and plain-clothed citizens. Black men or women couldn't own property either, forcing them and other non-white residents to live in East Pasco, another community within the Tri-Cities area. Over time, Kennewick grew away from its horrifying habits as a sundown town, and with the heavy amount of legislation passed through the federal government, African Americans and other minorities were given fair and equal standing in the town, at least to some. However, just because the laws had changed doesn't mean the attitudes of those who had been in Kennewick all of their lives improved for the better. While the town has since changed its reputation in the new millennia and features a more inclusive and empathetic treatment of all its citizens, the past cannot be ignored. Families founded on racist values and prejudice can seep their attitudes and beliefs across generations, and it's not impossible for Sophia Juarez to be a victim of a hate crime or other racist venture. The Juarez family did not have long-standing roots in Kennewick, and thus could have been seen as unwelcome outsiders due to their Mexican heritage and Hispanic ethnicity. Especially considering the anti-Mexican-American views of some in America due to immigration disputes, it is not out of the question that someone or multiple people targeted Sophia and her family because of their skin color or ethnic background. One significant counterargument to this theory uses the eyewitness testimony from May of 2021, where a bystander had seen a young Hispanic boy guide a girl bearing likeness to Sophia into a van in February of 2003. How could it be a hate crime if the most likely suspects to this day shared Sophia's ethnic identity? Well, just because somebody shares an identity with a victim of a crime doesn't totally exclude the crime happening on the basis of race or ethnicity. The Hispanic boy could have been forced to wrangle young children as part of a kidnapping scheme, potentially a victim of child abduction himself. This is a tactic often seen in human trafficking operations, as to cover the tracks of the people behind the scheme. All that being said, Sophia's kidnapping may not have been a hate crime, simply due to the random nature of the incident. Even if her abduction was pre-planned, nobody could have anticipated her simply walking out the door at 8.30pm on a Tuesday night by herself, right into the kidnapper's arms. Hate crimes are often premeditated, and made public to unveil the prejudices of those involved. There also wasn't a pattern of children belonging to a minority going missing in Kennewick around 2003. As of 2010, Kennewick's population consists of 24.2% Hispanic or Latino folks, which means that the Juarez family most certainly was not the only minority living in the Tri-Cities, and no other families reported similar kidnappings either before or since. Of course, towns with higher percentages of a minority population still receive a portion of hate crimes, so this isn't to say the numbers themselves make it impossible. Being first-generation Americans or immigrants increases the targets on your back for public hostility, and thus the patterns cannot be the only deciding factor. Outside of general speculation regarding abduction, there haven't been many solid leads that point to anything specific in Sofia Juarez's fate. There have been tips sent in to the KPD that brought up the idea that Sophia was struck by a driver, then hidden out of fear 
including the names and vehicle descriptions of possible involved parties. However, these have all been followed up by investigators without any proving to be true. If there's one thing for sure, it's widely theorized that whoever kidnapped Sophia or is directly involved with her disappearance, they came from within Kennewick. It was most likely a crime of opportunity by someone who knew the streets well and someone who Sophia would have recognized. Maria Juarez repeatedly told both police and media outlets that whoever took Sophia, it was someone she was familiar with. She continued, saying while her daughter was a lively and energetic child at home, she was incredibly shy and reserved in public, especially in the presence of strangers. Maria said Sophia would have never walked up to someone she didn't know, or left the house willingly by herself in the first place. Could Sophia have known the young boy with a baby face who led the girl away to the panel van? Maybe she knew the boy, but not the van's driver. Maybe the van driver had been eyeing Sophia for a while and struck when the perfect chance came. Regardless, everyone knows Sophia was taken against her will. The question now remains, who did it? The Sophia Juarez case stands out from most of the missing person cases we raise awareness for simply due to the fact that she was a child at the time of her disappearance, and only one conclusion makes sense. She was the victim of kidnapping and did not run away of her own accord. That being said, it doesn't necessarily mean Sophia is no longer alive. Like we saw with the TikTok phenomenon, there are people out there who come from an unknown past with self-preserving mysteries that they themselves are attempting to solve. In regards to the kidnapping itself, we firmly believe that those responsible were spotted by the witness who stepped forward in May of 2022. We believe the boy who led Sophia away as she cried was not acting alone, but was rather the puppet of an older suspect who used the boy to lure other children into danger. We also believe Sophia may have recognized the boy, or at least felt comforted by the presence of someone who looked like another child. While we can't say for certain, the boy may not have been laughing because he knew what would happen to Sophia, but rather attempting to defuse the situation. Regardless, the actions of the boy and whoever was ringleading behind him in the panel van are inexcusable and must be brought to justice. There is a chance Sophia is still alive, and the boy and whoever he was working with are the keys to answering that most pressing question. As a reminder, the boy described by the witness who saw him contact Sophia on South Washington Street in Kennewick, Washington, was estimated to be 11 to 14 years old, which would make him 29 to 32 years old in the present day. The boy was also described as Hispanic, yet light-complexioned, standing somewhere between 5 feet and 5 feet 2 inches. He was on the heavier side, with baby fat still prominent around his face, giving him a chubbier appearance that one might consider a baby face. He had a slight mark on his cheek, which could either be a bruise or a birthmark. The boy had short yet dark wavy hair cut around 1.5 inches long, the bangs pressed down flat with what appeared to be hair gel or grease. Most notably, the boy was described as having larger than expected hands for a boy his age. The clothing details are unknown at this time. In regards to the full-sized panel van, the vehicle was described as light blue, silver or grey, either a 1970s or 1980s model with no windows on the side. With these descriptions at the forefront of your mind, if you have any information whatsoever that could connect these items with the case at large, please contact the KPD at 509-582-1331 or send the special investigator an email 
at al.wehner at ci.kennewick.wa.us. You can also contact Crime Stoppers USA at 1-800-222-TIPS. At the end of the day, we are attempting to bring home an innocent mind taken from the world and her family far too soon. It is heartbreaking to think that Sophia's mother Maria couldn't live long enough to learn of her daughter's fate, and that she would want nothing more than for her daughter to make it back home safe, as do the surviving members of the Juarez family, including Sophia's half-sister. Sophia may not have been around for long, but she did leave a mark on those closest to her. Her smile and infectious energy permeated the house on the 100 block of East 15th Avenue to a special degree. No matter how bad your day was, Sophia was there to pull you out of the darkness and into the light of love and laughter. Sophia would have grown up to make a massive impact on the world, an impact we might never come to realize because of an awful tragedy hiding in the shadows of the once sundown turned sleepy blue collar town. Sophia was a bundle of joy who loved cartoons and cheeseburgers and colorful arts and crafts. This is how we shall remember her, not as somebody who vanished, but as a real person who may still be out there, their story still not over. This is Cold Case Detective. <laughs>